This is Mindframe, a podcast of mind-bending science fiction. I am your host, I am the author of Mindframe, and I am the narrator of the chapters, David Moten, and with me, as is always the case, is Brent Van Tassel, my uh, partner in crime and the producer of the show and the master of all things involving public relations, media, and social media. Um, the show would not be the same without him. We are a Podbelly original. We can uh, be found there along with other uh, podcasts as well as tips and tricks on how you might want a podcast if it's something that you're thinking about doing. Uh, you can look there and you can find out good information on what mics to use, what sort of interface, all sorts of tips. So if you're interested in pursuing podcasting, you can reach out to the people uh, at Podbelly and you can see what they have there. And then you can also check out the network and find some episodes. And that's at uh, podbelly.com. Um, also, if you like what you hear, you can visit us at patreon.com backslash mindframe podcast, where you'll be able to uh, support us uh, financially. There are different tiers uh, worth different amounts of money, and you get everything from t-shirts to the sit-down episodes to some weekly videos that I'm going to record where I talk about uh, uh, various science fiction, some of my favorite books that I've read, and, and why they moved me and what sort of influence they had on me, uh, etc. So check it out at uh, Patreon if you're if you're considering uh, signing up. So this week we are looking at chapter seven, which deals back with Teddy. And this is the second time that we've visited Teddy in his own chapter. And as a reminder in a previously on Teddy, we saw him uh, work at the old Dame Hotel with Josephine in uh, 2012. And then he drove home that night to find himself on New Year's Eve in 1959. And he had a celebration with his uh, ersatz family that he had assembled from the Philippines. Uh, this week, we see a continuation of him as he's sort of exploring his construction business, thinking about old friends and considering what he can do to make sure that the old dame is in proper running condition. So with that, I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Mindframe. Chapter 7. Teddy. Circa 1960. Teddy drove through the newly paved streets, powering his headlamps off once he realized the dawn was now bright enough that he didn't need them anymore. Out in this suburban plot of construction, there were no houses yet, just dirt. Hopefully dirt that his crews had tamped and leveled yesterday, which is what Teddy was here inspecting via drive-by. They had themes, the new streets, some cute thing the city council came up with back in 58 and did with new suburbs. They'd go with mountain ranges or ex-presidents or even generals from the war. This tract was higher education, Oxford Avenue, Cambridge Way, Stanford Lane, Academy Street. Teddy wondered if the children growing up in the houses on these streets would be smarter or more inclined for scholastic pursuits. With the constant presence of academia at every turn, as they rode their bikes and pulled their puppy-laden wagons through winding summer afternoons, help them to value studies more? Help them pay better attention in class? They needed scholars, scientists. The Lariat was closing, and their work was important work. Coffee, Junior hissed, nudging Teddy hard in the ribs, completely distracting him from his current train of thought. Teddy reached down to his floorboard for the thermos and passed it over. It was a gray day, rain clouds on the horizon, dark as a bruise, and a cold breeze blowing through the truck window. It was mid-January, and last week the weather report, coupled with Teddy's sense for such things, suggested that the rain wouldn't come this week. That's why they were going to lay the cement foundations for the houses. So much for that plan. The storms were coming, potent and soon. 
They were supposed to see if the dirt had been leveled and tamped. Now, that was irrelevant if the storms were coming, but they did it anyway, so they could check off a box on Kathy's master list. Then, they toured a fledgling neighborhood, checking to make sure all the pipe trenches had been buried by yesterday's crews. They had. At least that work wouldn't have to be redone after the rains. The utility poles were laying in a great mound of logs, waiting to be thrust from the earth like the rigid fingers of commerce, supporting raw power and frivolous communications. Teddy started to get his hopes up. The darkest of the clouds seemed better than a day away, and so far the gray sky was holding with no precipitation. Then he saw a splat of water on the windshield. A second, a fifth, a tenth. Aye, Junior hissed. Manny slapped his palm to his head in consolidation. Well, Teddy said, it is what it is. The new Chubby Checker song ended on the radio, and it was replaced with Marty Robbins' El Paso. It was a song about falling in love in Mexico, and Manny would sing it and dance around the house until the women would laugh and shoo him out with a broom. He turned it up and started to serenade Junior, caressing his hair with exaggerated hands, and Teddy had his first good laugh of the day. They made their way to the trailer, Teddy's little HQ that was set up at the entrance to his Academy Heights tract. All the foremen were there, sitting on truck beds, drinking from thermoses, chatting while their crews trickled in, sore from yesterday, but ready for work. Nobody moved to avoid the rain since they were all ready for a wet day of work. Why try to dodge it when it was merely a sprinkle? In Teddy's estimation, only soldiers and construction workers were immune to rain like that. The foremen all busted balls about each other's crews, who could lay the best foundations the quickest, making it a competition. Teddy got out of the cab and stood in the bed of his Ford and spoke loudly so all could hear. Looks like we're going up the mountain today, boys. No work down here due to the rains. We'll deal with the foundations when everything dries out. We're doing carpeting up at the old dame today, all of us. And tell you what, Teddy said in a yell to punctuate the importance. You guys want to measure dicks about it, I'll give new color televisions for the crew that gets the carpet for their entire floor laid first and gets them laid right. Remember the right part more than the first part. There was a stir, more ball busting and hooting as the foremen were whipped into a frenzy. Most of the gear they needed was already up at the dame, so it was a matter of getting there first. One by one, the trucks tore out of the lot with workers pulling collars over their necks to brace against the cold in the exposed truck beds. In the wake of activity and truck exhaust, Kathy came out of the trailer with a stack of messages for Teddy. Morning, my dear. Where's my color television? She replied to Teddy, not even joking a little. I was expecting one long about Christmas. He laughed, reveling in her endless audacity. I seem to remember something about an amazing boss buying his executive secretary a new car for Christmas instead. Then Junior said, Plus, you're on every crew, Kathy. You'll win no matter who wins. That true? Am I on every crew? She asked Teddy, holding back the messages with her hand, stretched back behind her head, waiting for a reply. Yes, my dear, you are on every crew, but only when they do exceptional work, Teddy confirmed. Kathy handed him the message slips one by one, announcing them. Cement guy, lumber guy, call out, call out, new applicant, crazy lady. Hire the applicant if he's worth half a shit, Tell Clem we need two-day laborers if he's got them, as in right now. Cement is off till Monday or later if the storms don't pass by then, and tell Wayne that the shipment of studs is still on as planned. What did Josephine want? Kathy looked at the slip with raised eyebrows as if to say, you have eyes, 
Read it your damn self. Teddy examined the slip, written out in Kathy's perfect penmanship. Rain dripped on the thin pink paper with two distinct globs. It read, Josephine is out of food. Food deliveries have stopped. She needs you to stop at Fikes on your next trip to get food for her. Needs a curtain, is using a canvas tarp and drywall screws. Teddy laughed out loud about the makeshift curtains and said, Mars needs curtains. Kathy, can you call her and tell her I'll be there in two hours with the work crews? I've got some curtains that I'll bring, so tell her I'm on the case. Oh, and call Fikes and tell him I'm picking up her groceries. I'm not getting out, so tell him to have it boxed and ready. And have him load up several cases of Budweiser, too. Mars needs beer. Any Danish left? Kathy pointed to the trailer with her thumb. Teddy looked at Junior and Manny, saying, Grab your jackets, boys. We're moving from rain to snow. In spite of his crew sprinting up the mountain in chase of a color TV, he was the first to arrive at the hotel. He knew the roads and took the paths others wouldn't think to. Teddy rang the old cast-iron dinner bell that sat on the front porch of the Grand Dame. It was affixed to a block of cement that was rounded from a century-long rub of human hands. The bell rang loud and true in the quiet of the mountain. It was an artificial sound, a man-made sound that the snow didn't seem to absorb like it did with most noises. Until the bell rang, Josephine wouldn't have known anyone was here, because Teddy had to park his rather noisy truck back at the road this morning. They had to haul the curtains, tools, and brown sacks and boxes of food and beer on two sheets of plywood serving as toboggans. Manny pulled one by a hemp rope tied to a hole they drilled through the wood, and Teddy pulled the other. Both were winded by the exertion, pants soaking wet from morning snow crawling up to their knees. The precipitation had missed the mountain, coming in from a different direction, and the crisp blue sky was a relief. Junior finished his smoke, snuffed the cherry, and looked for an ashtray. All he found was an old box of deck screws. Teddy had to admit he was happy for the storms. They forced him to come and do the work he cared about most. Plus, up here, the sky was a deep and healthy blue, with perfect white clouds hanging there like dumplings, the same exact color as the snowy world below. The air was sharp, and his lungs and every cell of his body was happy for the brief escape from the heavy air of his valley home. Teddy admired the front porch. It was a huge thing, meant to have tables spread out on it and serve as an outdoor dining room for the dame. They had finished rebuilding it about six months ago, and it was now an elegant veranda. The fresh white paint they put on it to help resist the winter, the straight lines and lean cuts, wooden finials he had carved on his own loom were sitting atop the banister posts. It was a thing of beauty, simple, and sophisticated, and Teddy had built it. Since he was taught how to build things back in Manila, since Mac thrust a rusty wrench in his hands and showed him how to tighten bolts on their first ship together, Teddy longed to see things go from nothing to something. He loved the design of it, the planning and gathering of supplies, the act of building. His body was fit and eager, and a day of hard construction made the night seem worth living. A tool, a simple hammer, or a saw, or a drill press, were to him statues of David or Mona Lisa's. They were things of aesthetic quality, not just functionality, because they expressed pure potentiality. Only imagination and strength of back limited what they could rot unto the world. Every nail had the perfect place to be set, every piece of wood the perfect cut and home. He slid his hand over the hand railing. It was a pure snow white 
and it seemed to anchor the dame to the whole frosted world around her. Teddy did that, and he would do so much more. He wanted to quit his other projects in the suburbs and stay here in the dame with Junior and Manny and Josephine and Muffet and Porthos and polish this old lady until she was ready for launch. She was more important than the cookie-cutter cul-de-sacs. She was a legacy. At least the crews were coming today. They'd make a good dent. The opening of the front door was presaged by a set of two happy barking dogs. Manny wrestled boxes and sacks of food up the steps onto the porch or into Junior's arms. The door opened. Josephine stood in an oversized navy sweatshirt and jeans. She looked awful. Her hair was like a lightning strike, and her eyes were inflamed and red from crying. Teddy didn't know how to engage with women when they were upset. That was one lesson he never learned as a perpetual bachelor. Should he hug them? Give them counsel? Act macho to help provide an anchor? Joe answered this question for him by hopping out to the porch and hugging him, arms tight around his neck like she was a little girl, not a woman in her mid-thirties. Joe hugged him for a long time, and the grip got tighter as she went. She breathed hot air into his cold neck, and Teddy patted her on the back for comfort. She was warm against the cold of the mountain morning, her breath on his neck felt surprisingly comforting. Natural. Eventually, he tapped on her back to tell her to stop, because she was slowly starting to choke him. Sorry, she said, backing off. Some grip you got there, Teddy replied, rubbing his neck through exaggerated pain. Joe wiped a single tear from her face, but Teddy saw a smile in her eyes, saw that it was a tear of relief. She seemed to be past whatever storm had set upon her before Teddy arrived. Manny and Junior both waved an awkward hello, and started taking the groceries upstairs where Josephine kept her apartment. She waved back, an embarrassed wave, with a bent foot and her other hand in her pocket. You okay? Teddy asked once they were alone. Really? I'll be fine, just a bit of an attack. I tried to leave and get the groceries, but I just couldn't. I couldn't breathe anymore, and my skin was on fire. It was like I was having a heart attack, like there was no oxygen out away from the dame, like I was just stuck here, the only safe place in the galaxy. I've never felt anything like it. I looked it up on WebMD and I guess it's a panic attack. I guess I'm just being extra crazy today. Mars needs Xanax. Hey, if the dame were my charge, I wouldn't want to leave either. You just need to make sure you eat, Joe, and you need to make sure you don't run out of food. You can call me anytime. It's no bother. I love seeing you, and I love getting an excuse to ditch my other jobs and come up here to work instead. And if it makes you feel any better, even without your panic attack, you wouldn't have been able to get your truck out of your driveway. You're snowed in. If this melts down any, we need to drive your truck down to the main road. Keep it parked down there so it doesn't get stuck up here till spring. Or we can install your snowplow on it, which would be a better idea. I'll show you how to work it. Crews are coming on account of bad weather in the valley. Teddy grabbed a box full of canned food, interrupted briefly by two dogs thinking he was bending down to pet them, which he did. As if on cue, he heard the sound of several engines coming up the mountain and shutting down next to his own truck back on the main road. The crews were arriving to fight to the death for a color TV. Joe did her part and grabbed two slightly wet brown grocery bags full of produce and they moved into the dame to start their day. The sound of hammers driving nails beat deep inside the old dame like a faint heartbeat. The crews were all installing carpets and hanging interior doors, and Manny and Junior were in there installing lath and plaster in the wing that took the worst of the fire damage. 
Two of the dame's wings felt like wide, long hallways since the entire walls were all burned away. But now the studs were replaced, and the lath started to differentiate the spaces again. The deep and hollow hammer thuds were rhythmic, overlapping, nail by nail, foot by foot, the dame was coming back to life. Teddy was out in the garage, a giant tin thing that housed a few trucks, a Jeep Willie, some snowmobiles, and a dozen rowboats and canoes dry docked for the winter. He'd spent half an hour trying to get the snowplow fixed on the front of Josephine's Ford before he realized it was meant for the Jeep. It took about 15 minutes at that point, and she had a plow. She'd freeze while she used it. Unlike her new 59 Ford, the Jeep was open air and had no working heater, but at least she had a plow. Josephine came out with two cups of hot cocoa with some sort of peppermint liqueur in them. The beverage was a bit salty behind the chocolate, and it was thick, and it warmed in waves. Teddy's fingers stung as he gripped the hot mug, suddenly aware of how cold he was out in the garage. The Jeep, huh? Joe asked. Yeah, I thought it'd fit the truck, but it's for the Willie. You can at least be mobile anyway. Bundle up and don't take the poor dogs, but you've got the possibility. And actually, I'd park the truck down there today after we clear the driveway. Not sure if this plow can move the full dump of snow in the heart of winter. If I can leave, I feel so stupid that attack or whatever it was. You just need to eat and take care of yourself better. Otherwise, who's going to take care of the dame? One of the dogs barked a quick, annoyed yelp as if he was offended. And take care of the pups, Teddy added, and both of them laughed at the timing. Plus, I'll come up a bit more. The rains are making it hard to do most of the work we have set up downhill, so full crews will keep coming up here like today. Even when the weather is clear, Kathy will keep them on track and I can spend more time on the dame. Joe said, I appreciate it. I wanted to make sure Junior and Manny get something extra, some bonus pay since they come up here all the time. And I wanted to get something for Kathy for always fielding my calls. They're well taken care of, Joe. Don't you worry about them. I know, it's just the thought. Bake them something. Like what? Anything. Food? They eat it. Smiles all the way around. Though Kathy does like angel food cake with strawberry preserves. Teddy felt the peppermint liquor going to his head a bit and realized he hadn't eaten much other than a Danish today. Probably going to run back down to Fikes for some lunch for me and the boys in a bit if you need anything that wasn't on the list. Nonsense. You brought up enough food to last me two months. While you were doing this, I've put a rather large pot of chili on and some of the frozen loaves of bread are in the oven. I'll set it up on the formal dining room table, much fancier than a Fikes bologna sandwich made on and eaten from the bed of a dirty truck. You didn't have to. I did so. You brought it. Plus, if you don't eat it, I'll be eating chili until spring thaw. Did I mention it's a rather large pot in an industrial kitchen? Teddy nodded in agreement. They drank their cocos for a minute, and Teddy fired up the Jeep. He swung over and opened the passenger door for Josephine. They drove it down to the end of the driveway and back several times, clearing a path of snow with the plow. Halfway through, he gave Joe the wheel and made sure she knew how to do it herself. On the final pass, he followed her back up with his own truck and parked beside her in the garage. Josephine clapped and gave a prolonged yay as she turned the engine off. Ready for chili, she asked. He nodded and downed the last of his cocoa in a swallow now that the cold of the garage wicked away all of its heat. They walked through the mushy snow back toward the front porch. The hammering pulsed inside the hotel. Teddy said, Actually, though, there will be a pause in me coming up for about a week. My old mentor, Mac, I told you about him. 
He's coming down from St. Louis for a bit, so I'll be busy entertaining. He normally doesn't stay long. Can't see it being any longer than four, five days before he gets restless. He can barely go 24 hours without slinging a wrench. No, you told me about that already. That's perfect, actually. My uncle is coming to town that same week, Uncle Alfie. He's introducing me to Guillermo's niece, Clarabelle. She's going to stay with me for the winter and help me build the dame back up. Maybe she'll remind you to eat food sometimes. Maybe she cooks, Josephine exclaimed with a clap. Don't push your luck, sister. They walked onto the snow-free porch, kicked and stomped to get their boots as dry as possible, and then removed them in the foyer. The dogs danced in circles at the front door, eager to get inside and be warm. They didn't have boots to take off, just paused to lick and tend to. The rich smell of tomatoes and chili powder filled the lobby just behind the scent of freshly baking bread. Teddy saw the new banisters he'd installed, the flat, sturdy doors and carpets rolled in great tubes like wheat in a field after harvest. He felt satisfied, deeply proud of the work, the progress. At moments like that, seeing the work he'd done, the completion of an incomplete thing, he never felt more alive. The dame's heart continued to beat upstairs over in the summer wing as the crews continued their hammering. CPR for an old great lady. And Teddy knew, in a mental space where he shouldn't know such things, that soon the dame would be able to complete the most important mission in the history of humanity. Manny and Junior would be pissed at him for thinking about these things, but the lariat was closing. Thank you so much for listening again. As always, we are a Podbelly original, and you can go to podbelly.com to find other podcasts that are part of the network. I'm sure you're going to find things that your ear holes enjoy, such as From a Generation X Point of View and Robots for Eyes, a great podcast coming out of the United Kingdom. As always, if you're interested in listening to us on our podcast, uh, Brent and myself and Brad Taylor have the podcast, the Sofa King podcast. It is a humorous take on various things that we do a research dive on. It is most definitely not safe for work, and it's full of some pretty crass humor, but if you find that sort of thing amusing, then it's definitely worth uh, checking out. And you can also look at uh, uh, Brewing the 99, which is Brad Taylor's new podcast about Magic the Gathering. So if any of those things sound appealing, then by all means, check them out. If you like the content, if you're liking the story, if you like what you hear, please consider supporting us on patreon.com. And uh, you can also find some of our other uh, works of fiction. My first novel, 181 Pine, um, is available on mindframepodcast.com. And so are the various books of Zach Smith, who is the host of our sit-down episodes. And you can also, even if you have no money, but you still want to support the show, a great way to do so is by following us and liking and sharing on social media. A share goes a really long way. It, it, we can spend a lot of money on Facebook and Instagram, and it has hardly any of the effect of you just organically sharing a post or letting friends know about the show. So you can find us on Facebook at Mindframe Podcast, on Instagram at The Mindframe Podcast, on Twitter at The Mindframe Pod, and on Reddit at r backslash mindframe podcast. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. Thank you for the great feedback that we've been getting. Um, thank you for the patronage. And as always, remember, the lariat is closing. <laughs>